Mastermind Agent is proud to present the Interview of the Month Club. Top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's rising agent is Mike Murren with McIntosh Realtors in Frederick, Maryland. He works the new home construction and resale markets. Last year, he closed 33 transactions with a total sales volume of $7.6 million. His average sales price was $230,000. 64% were buyers and 34% were sellers. He operates a team with two members, one realtor and one team leader. Mike Murren is the team leader of the Murren team. He has been an agent for nine years. Mike specializes in working with builders and selling new homes. The recession took a huge chunk out of the new home market, and Mike's business suffered. He went from selling 74 homes for $31 million in 2005 to 33 homes last year. But Mike is resilient, and he's been busy adapting to his new market. He's on track to close 50-plus homes this year. Mike's knowledge of new home sales is coming back into play as builders start building again. He believes in strategic community service. During the recession, Mike volunteered to be on his local city planning committee. There he met a builder who wanted to build a community of net zero energy green homes. This community puts as much power back into the grid as it takes out each year by using solar and geothermal power. The result? is a zero energy bill for homeowners. Now Mike is the sales manager in four states for Nexus Energy Homes and his office is Hoppin. Mike discusses how to establish a relationship with a builder and how you can add value. He also talks about his organic SEO strategies and using options to generate cash flow and more sales. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Mike. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Mike, before we get started into what you're doing now, let's go back for a moment and can you tell me what you were doing before you got into real estate? Actually, I started in real estate at a, at a very young age. This was, um, and in some ways, I think it was a positive, uh, this being my first full-time career. I wasn't used to having a normal job somewhere else, so this was all I knew. So how old were you when you started? 19. What made you decide to go into real estate? Well, coming out of school, I, I had done an internship at, at a local real estate office, the same brokerage that I'm with now, Macintosh Realtors. And I was trying to decide between a couple different options, finishing, uh, going and finishing college and had no idea what my major was or, or, or trying real estate. And, and I figured that um, I liked this career from what I knew about it from the internship. I would give it a shot. And if it didn't work out, I could always go back and finish school at that point in time. Do you think you had a fast start or a slow start? I had a relatively fast start, although um, you know I went into it at a young age. I took it very seriously. I didn't, I didn't look at it as something I was going to do. I looked at it as a business. I wrote a business plan, had a model, 
had advertising budget and had established everything from the very beginning uh, with a plan of action and followed that and, and it paid off. Let's talk about your current market. Could you tell us where you're located and what type of market trends are occurring there? Sure. I'm in uh, Frederick, Maryland, which is um, Washington, D.C., Baltimore metro area, about 45 minutes from both markets. Uh, and, and in some ways that has helped us, you know, the, the, the job market in this area is very stable. So our local unemployment is, is low, about 6.5%. Uh, but because of that, the prices in the boom market had skyrocketed so much that we have just seen tremendous drop in value, uh, lots of foreclosures, lots of short sales, and uh, that is something we're still weeding through in our market. So that's hindered um, hindered sales over the past couple of years. Do you have a niche or a specialization? I do a lot with new homes, and new homes is a market that had suffered quite a bit in the past four years. With the foreclosures and downturn in market, um, a lot of communities just were put on hold Builders stalled altogether with what they had paid for land. They could no longer build and, and sell the home for for what it was worth. So that market had really taken a beating, and we're just starting to see that get going again now. Outside of that, recently we've worked with a lot of first-time home buyers. That's not a niche that we set out to get into. It just happens to be in this market with a good job market and prices coming down. It's it's been a good market for first-time home buyers to purchase. You've been working with the builders for most of your career, is that correct? Yeah, I had worked with two national groups years ago, and one of them is, is contracted to the point where I think they're, they have very few projects going on. Um, the, other, the other is not very prevalent in the area in the, anymore. I am currently working with a builder that I think has a pretty revolutionary project and is, or product and is growing very quickly in the mid-Atlantic region, um, and so that, that has picked up our sales pace a, a tremendous amount over the past three to six months here. What is the revolutionary product? They are the nation's first net zero energy production home builder. So they produce homes that at the end of the year leave the user with no power bill. Solar, geothermal, and some other you know, very advanced systems in a home make these homes able to produce as much power as they consume. What's the name of that company? Nexus Energy Homes. Do they have product on the market yet? We do. Um, we're actually, we've contracted on, we have a, a community in Frederick of 55 townhomes and duplexes in downtown Frederick, and we've contracted on five, five new homes there in the past three weeks. And that is their first community of any, of any scale. It was more or less, um, you know, three or four lots at a time before that. They've now grown from some minor communities to regional, five five subdivisions throughout Maryland, ranging in size from about 15 to 150 home sites. They're in Philadelphia, New Jersey, uh, Northern Virginia, and Delaware as well. In order to sell that type of property, did you have to learn all about solar and geothermal? I have gotten quite an education in renewable energy uh, over the past year. It's It's been very interesting and challenging at times. I, I know a lot about solar. I know a lot about geothermal and other different systems. For instance, their HVAC system dumps 100% of the air of the home every 48 minutes and literally extracts the energy from the BTUs in the outgoing air and converts that back into power. So there's lots of 
you know, systems beyond simply putting a geothermal HVAC system and, and solar on the roof. The homes are even built fundamentally different with what's called SIPS panels, which is structurally insulated panels of closed cell foam and OSB. So there's not a single stud in the exterior of the home. It's greener, gives about double the R value of a normal home. It's quieter and stronger. So all around, it's a very different product from anything else. And it's been quite an education. But I think it's a product that's going to pay off because it's very easy to sell. Are you an engineer? No. How did you educate yourself on these products, these concepts? When I first came in contact with the builder, it was completely new to me. And, um, you know, it, it was something renewable energy, sustainable development is something that is particularly interesting to me. I've spent a lot of time volunteering for City of Frederick for uh, planning committees, but um, the sustainable energy part was something that I knew nothing about. I literally spent, you know, many late nights reading up on the subject, doing my own research, you know, speaking with the engineers that designed the home as well as the energy architects. And it's taken about a year to get to the point where I am today. I assume that these properties, they're new and they're using newer materials. Are they more expensive per square foot? No. We're able to deliver these homes on par and sometimes even below that uh, of, of the other new homes in the vicinity that we're competing with. How are you able to do that when it's new technology? Well, a lot of the technology is not new. It's just that it has never been used in unison. Uh, geothermal wells have been around for decades. Solar panels have been around for decades. The efficiency of these products is, is you know, far better than it was. So, you know, we, um, we have a few new components. The electronic systems that control the home are new. Uh, and the total ventilation recovery system that allows us to insulate a home as tightly as this home is insulated and um, circulate the air. So we have good air quality. If you have a home with R30 to R44 insulation and you don't circulate that air, it could mold, it could mildew, you could have all sorts of problems. So if you look at five years ago before that product existed, and we have a home with typical insulation, you would need four times the solar production on the roof to compensate for that lack in insulation. Solar was 60% more expensive per kilowatt five years ago. So the combination of all these things coming together has just now made these technologies affordable, where if you're buying in bulk like this builder is, and you have the perfect balance of enough insulation, enough solar, enough geothermal tonnage in your geothermal HVAC system, um, that you're able to build this product at an affordable price. If your insulation was less and your solar needed to be more, it wouldn't be cost-effective. If your solar was more and your insulation uh, was was more or less, it, w it wouldn't be cost-effective. So it's a balancing act to produce it at a good price. If somebody wanted to get in with a builder and they were listening to our conversation, how would they do it? How did you do it? How did you get in with your first builder? Well, there are a couple different strategies that I've used to build relationships with developers. Um, you know, the first is you have to target them correctly. Uh, a lot of builders have their own in-house sales forces. So if they have their own in-house sales force, they're not likely to need you. You have to spot people that are sort of up and coming. They're growing. It is too much for them to manage, but that they're not too big that they don't have their own department. And if, if, if you help them grow, if you bring them product, and, and it's the right size builder, you can often get a deal struck with them. 
Um, I tend to see, at least in this area, that those are builders that are doing, you know, maybe between 10 and 20 units per year. They can't afford somebody full-time, and it's too much for them to handle on their own. That is when they need a good real estate group that is going to handle everything from them top to bottom. Another way is I have spent uh, a good bit of time on planning committees for the city. So these tend to be more unique projects where it is not a developer, um, what you would call greenfield development. They come in and they do a subdivision and they build the same house they build 20 other places. If it is more of an urban type project, um, there are intricacies that can sometimes confuse, scare a developer to the point where they seek an expert in that particular market. So wherever you are an expert in, it may pay to volunteer and get to know more about what's coming down the pipeline. The project that got me involved with Nexus Energy Homes, I had worked on for four years prior to them coming in the picture. So I knew every street, every alley, every unit, every design of that community before they got involved. And when they asked, who do you recommend to sell this, I was endorsed by the director of development for the city, and um, the governor, who, when he was mayor, had helped get this project started. So um, it, it was definitely knowledge that I had that they did not, that got me most of these deals. Your work on these planning committees, was that volunteer? Yes. But it paid off in the end? Big time. And I would have done it even if it didn't pay off, but because I think it was the right thing to do. Um, but, um, you know, either way... You know, this is a relationship I, I am very happy to have established with this builder. And, yeah, five years ago when I started working on that, I had no idea this was coming down the pipeline. But um, I'm happy it has. You put yourself in the right place at the right time. Sometimes unknowingly, but yes. It only took five years. Yeah, it only took five years, yeah. You've identified a type of builder that people should look at, a smaller builder who's trying to move up. How do you approach that builder? What do you do to get in front of them, and what do you present to them to start a relationship? Well, unique knowledge. I mean, um, for instance, I you know I knew more about this project than the builder did when they got involved. Um, or if you can show that um, you're an expert in that market, they might decide to hire you over someone else. Um, I think you know what a lot of builders are are looking for is. Most agents, when it comes to new homes and the options and systems that need to be followed, a lot of agents have a tendency to fly by the seat of their pants and just try and get something done. In a new construction, that's a recipe for disaster because home buyers are looking for a specific type of floor and a specific floor plan, and they want this bump out or they want that addition and down to the you know the faucets and the light fixtures. So. If it's a small builder that's growing and they have had sort of haphazard ways of doing all this, if you can come in and show them that you can organize them, you can make life easier for them and put all of this into a format and a system, you're going to be so much more valuable to them than just marketing that they can't ignore it. And that's really not that hard to do, you know, design a sheet that shows their options and pricing and walk home buyers through that process. So. When you send over a contract, everything's specced out and it's a done deal. That doesn't take that long. I mean, it's it's easier than a typical residential contract of sale. It's just something that people don't, most agents, it's foreign to them. Taking the time to recreate this for a builder prior to your first meeting has been extremely valuable for me. 
in order to do that, you would have to understand that builder and all their options and all the different ways a house could be put together. And then you are turning around and presenting those options to the customer, to the buyer. And that's where you're adding value. Is that correct? That's where you're adding value because it takes their hands off of it and it makes them more efficient, which for any builder that's growing is, you know, five, six, seven homes a year and has the potential to grow larger. They're looking at the inevitable next step, which is hiring, you know, a full-time administration administration person. And that can sometimes eat their profit for an entire house per year. That's a big risk for a small business owner in a cyclical market like, a, like you know, home construction. So if you're willing to handle all that outsourced for them and uh, get paid very well to do so, they're happier even though they're paying more because if you don't sell homes, you don't get paid. They hired an admin no homes get sold, they still have to get paid. And so, yeah, that that is absolutely what we're doing for them. Uh, it helps to have gone through a process, the process with that particular builder on the buying end. You have a better idea of what they're doing now to know how you can improve it. With these builders, are you working beyond the marketing? Are you working in their back office to help them structure their flow of construction to make it more efficient? In the past, no. With Nexus Energy Homes, yes. I got involved with them when they were a startup and have come in uh, and wear two hats. I, I manage the salespeople and sales operations in other states in addition to personally handling uh, on my group everything that's in our region. So I think that there's a fine line where an agent can't step beyond. On the marketing side and on the sales side, Contracts is certainly what we do, and I think a system for option selection and then providing this to them in a format where they, they can then turn it into a, a built home very quickly is well within our realm. In terms of beyond that, I think that's something that would be best for agents to stay away from for a lot of reasons, liability primarily. Are you using a standard contract in your area? Are you using a builder-specific contract? And if you are, are you part of the creation of that contract? Are you working with the attorneys to design it? I'm happy to give attorneys recommendations. I have done that in the past, but of course the attorney drafts the entire contract. And one of the reasons options are part of this is um, the more custom you get, especially you can't sign a contract until you know what you're building. I mean, if, if somebody uh, somebody can't get a final price, they're not going to sign a deal, and then it tends to go nowhere. And the efficiency of that process is, if it is inefficient, is where you typically lose home buyers. Well, what's the price for this option? What's the price for that option? I want to do wood floors here. How much would that cost? And if you can't give them quick answers and roll through that process in a matter of an afternoon, you'll oftentimes lose your buyer. You'll certainly make the process more frustrating for them. You mentioned by going in and helping these small builders manage more than just the sale at the end, that you're getting compensated well for that. Are you always being paid a commission and do you receive fees? What's your income stream look like with these builders? Well, the, the typical income stream is, yeah, it's, it's a commission, a commission for the sale of the property, a listing commission. And with new homes, you'll often get a buyer's commission as well. Many people come in without agents. When you are working with the buyer that has come in, is there a reduction in the commission that's paid by the builder, or do you receive the same amount as another agent would have if they were from an outside company? The same. There's no reduction. How long do these projects typically take from start to finish? 
to build a house, you know, from the time you meet someone to the time it closes? Eight months, eight to nine months. So that's a long time horizon. And I assume there's, you have a lot of contact between the builder and the customer. Uh, how do you organize all that? How do you keep that straight? You know, a system is the best way if you have 100% of their options uh, specified in the contract to begin with. You, um, you know, that process becomes much more efficient and cuts down on the needless communication. After that, they like to come out. They like to take a look at the home here and there. You know, a couple scheduled walkthroughs uh, along, you know, different steps of construction, that sort of thing. But all in all, it's really not that much more than any regular transaction. It's just a lot more organized and spread out longer. Going back to how you get in initially with a builder, how do you do that? Did you just call them up cold? Did you walk into their sales office? First of all, how did you do it? And then again, what did you present to them? Did you try to set up a second meeting where you would go into how you can help them systematize? Well, I'll, I'll usually make my presence known for a while before I, um, you know, I, I, I go in and, and present them with a marketing plan or something of that sort you know, make an effort to, to show up to their to their broker's opens if they have them, to show up their, to their community events, little bits and pieces of, of marketing, maybe a mailer or an advertising or advertisement targeted in their direction. Bring some buyers through if I have buyers that might be interested, follow up with them. You know, doing that for three to six months will will have your, your name in their head. Uh, and then at that point in time, they're much more receptive to listen to any marketing plan that you may have. At that point, when I do present them a marketing plan, I come up with the best assessment of what they're currently doing, tell them what has worked for me in the past and how I think I can help them uh, with time and more effective marketing. It helps in my instance, having, having done you know five or six new homes communities already, uh, to go through and say this worked in the past. You can see this was successful. I'd like to duplicate that for you. But starting cold, um, I guess a marketing plan is the best thing that could be done. At this point, are you stepping in early in the process and helping the builder acquire the initial land? That is the best way to get the end listings. If you're not fortunate enough to help them acquire the land, it's a lot harder to get your foot in the door. You develop relationships with with landowners and or land developers um, and you're going to have a lot better opportunity of getting the end listings there's your introduction you could spend six months courting a builder before you present to them a marketing plan or you could bring them the deal to begin with and you've got a good shot at getting the end product so are you helping them uh, split up the lots subdivide this and plot things out I am not on the, the subdivision process. I'm familiar with it, but I, I don't work on the subdivision process of the land. Some areas that's very easy, some areas it's very complicated and time consuming and this is one of those areas where it takes, you know, maybe five years to get to get any sort of subdivision approved that is of any size. Do you have on site salespeople or are the buyers driving by seeing your sign and calling your office? It depends on the community. If we have a community, usually of 40 units plus, we'll do a model home and we'll have on-site salespeople, usually open five days a week. Um, and that is by far the most effective means of selling a new home. New home buyers like to stop in whenever the mood catches them, on their way back from lunch, on the way home from work, on the weekend, whatever it may be. Um, and the sales pace is typically quadruple when you have a model home open. So it's advantageous for that builder to build that model home if they can afford it. And you say 40 is the magic number. That's where you get a break even? 
Well, yeah, it seems to pay for itself when you have 40 units or more. And, and of course, that's dependent on the size and sales price of the units and the margin you're making on those units. But as an average, that's that's about where, where we found in the past it seems to be effective. How do you handle buyers that come into the subdivision and the development and they have a home to sell? What do you do with those folks? We really, in most circumstances, can't take home to sell contingencies. So what we do with those folks is certainly work with them to help them sell their home. We end up getting a, a huge amount of residual business based off of new home sales. And, you know, And so you get your foot in the door with a lot of resale listings. But um, unless they're willing to write non-contingent, we have to work with them to sell their home. In some circumstances, we can we can do an extended lot hold deposit. In some cases, they just have to wait and hope that particular home site doesn't sell. What do you do with buyers who come into the development, start looking around, but don't buy in the development? Do you follow up with those buyers and show them other properties, or do you drop them right there? If they are able to qualify and you know are, are good prospective buyers for that development, we make sure we follow up with them about that community several times before uh, contacting them about anything else. We are representing the seller and it's a fiduciary duty to do so. Once it's become clear that they have no interest in that community, then we follow up with them about other properties. Is there anything else you think that an agent that wants to start working with builders should know that we haven't talked about? I think it's important that they understand the finances. A lot of agents say, well, why doesn't the builder just buy the land and, and build a model home and we'll start sales? And, and realistically, in every industry, money's tight these days. It costs a lot of money to buy land. It costs a lot of money to develop land. And it costs even more money to build a model home and put in the infrastructure for the community. So if you're speaking the same language as the builder or, and or developer, you're going to have a better opportunity of getting in with them. And what we're seeing a lot of these days is joint ventures. This builder requires that all of the land is subordinated to construction financing. So this community that we have uh, downtown, we just started sales on, is 55 homes. They, didn't, they don't own any of them. All of the land is transferred from the current owner to the future owner at the time of settlement on the home. The current landowner subordinates all of the land for construction financing, and this builder never has to take ownership. That saves them a tremendous amount of money. It saves their you know, needing to get construction financing and financing to build the land, allows them to deliver the same product at a better price, and allows them to grow elsewhere much faster. Getting a basic understanding of how builder finances work and how really the uh, the commercial loan market works these days can go a long way to helping to get you these types of listings. I'm trying to understand that. Does that mean that the landowner was not paid cash at the time that the builder came into the transaction? There was either an option to buy that land or a seller carryback. I'm trying to picture it in my mind how that works. Correct. The closest thing you could call it is an option. You know, this builder paid paid zero dollars for that land when we started the project. They are not paid until the unit is sold. And then the original landowner has split those units out and done the actual subdivision so that they can easily be broken off and, and have their own individual financing at the end? Correct. Did the developer have to help the landowner do that, or was that a requirement that the landowner had already split those up? 
At this point in time, the land had already been split up and they were trying to market the land to be sold. And the builder came in with this option of, we will pay you X amount per lot at the time of closing on the finished unit um, and nothing before. The only requirement is that we pace through a certain number of units per year, which is, in this case, a relatively low low requirement, but we seem to be exceeding that. And the developer is able to conserve cash by doing that because they didn't have to put cash into the land. They can use that cash to develop the property quicker. Well, no, the, the builder was able to conserve cash by doing that. Um, the builder didn't have to pay for the land and then build all the homes on them. If they had to spend a couple million dollars up front to buy the land, their carry cost on that throughout the whole project, they'd have to raise the price of each home fifteen or $20,000 to cover that uh, and still break even. The landowner has to do it because the landowner had 55 finished lots in a bad market and nobody was writing a check. Do you think that this same process will work when the market picks back up? It depends on your location. I think that we're going to see a lot more joint ventures, and I think the market will pick back up, but that the sales prices will stay relatively affordable for a good number of years, meaning that the end price of the home has to be cut. And the obvious place for it to be cut is on a joint venture deal with the landowner rather than construction quality. If you can save $20,000 a unit by paying that landowner uh, at the end of the transaction, instead of buying all the lots up front, I think those deals are likely to happen. Now, even uh, even in a hot market, the takedowns may not be one or two lots at a time. They may have been 50 at a time, but if you go into a large planned unit community with a national builder, they wouldn't buy a 1,000 lots. They might buy 20 or 30 or 50, um, and we've seen that number shrink. It's only on a small scale. These builders that I think it'll be easy for agents to get their foot in the door in uh, that are growing and, and currently relatively small, they have to buy five lots at, another, at, at one time because the landowner says that's what I want and they want to do a project and they don't have another choice. Once they scale up, you know, if this agent is the one that says, don't pay $250,000 for those five lots, here's 50, the infrastructure's in, the landowner will subordinate, you don't pay till closing. You just got a project 10 times larger and spent no money. That's valuable knowledge that, honestly, most home builders, they know building a home, and, and it's not much more complicated than a guy in a truck that swings a hammer. The sophistication can come from this side, and if you make them you produce your client for, you know, you help produce your client, you help build them up. This is knowledge that most smaller home builders don't have. And are those smaller home builders loyal to you as they grow and they start to achieve 50 or 100 or 200 units a year? Depends on the home builder. You know, I, um, I've gotten very closely involved with Nexus Energy Homes. So at the at the moment I'm pretty pretty integral as I'm managing their their operations out of state as well. So the realtors the from Philadelphia and New Jersey and Northern Virginia, the people like me that are running their projects, I'm their resource. Um, I you know when when they meet me, they I am wearing my Nexus Energy Homes mat, hat. Here uh, I wear my general brokerage hat, but I'm the broker affiliate with Nexus Energy Homes. So anything that they need, any expertise that they need, the knowledge on the homes, how the products work, they come to me and I handle that in-house for the builder and have uh, compensation for that as well. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television. 
where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. I think at one point you mentioned that you're handling, I'm trying to remember if I got that right, if you're handling national sales for Nexus? I manage all of the sales for Nexus Energy Homes, but right now there are three states, uh, four states, sorry, and um, so they're nowhere near a national company. I had previously represented several national builders in my local market. Are there people not in your general brokerage that you're managing over at Nexus, the salespeople? Yes, in uh, Philadelphia, southern New Jersey, northern Virginia, and even in my state, you know, I, I, I generally travel about 45 minutes for a, a radius of 45 minutes around Frederick. But when you go into Washington, Baltimore, and even some other Maryland counties, that's out of my area of expertise when it comes to the market. So we find a local representative that knows that particular market, and um, I manage and, and help them with Nexus sales. So anything that is a Nexus community out there, and they represent uh, Nexus locally in their market, I'm their resource with the company. How many of those folks are there that you're managing, these sales reps? About six or seven at the moment. Your compensation for doing that, are you being paid a salary or an hourly, or do you get a percentage of some type of commission? Uh, At the moment, I'm paid a referral basis on everything that's sold. And then, of course, whatever I get paid locally or, or whatever homes are sold locally, I'm paid a full commission on those. Does Nexus have ambitions to go national? Certainly northeastern region. You know, once you go national, things really start to change and you see a lot of builders' quality start to slip. You know, you just can't have uh, one person accountable for 20 states, you know, that's overseeing, you know, project managers and things of those sorts. So I think that it'll be a, a New Jersey, a Pennsylvania, Maryland, Delaware, Virginia, maybe even North Carolina, but I don't know about national. Uh, I'd say it's too early on to say, but one of the other complications is with these type of systems, their homes are designed to be net zero energy green homes in this environment. In the southwest, that's a totally different story. In the northeast or far northeast or in the northwest, that's also, again, then a totally different story. You might need very different systems than what we've worked out here uh, to create the same product. That looks like it's an opportunity that's, that's opening up to you and is very exciting. And the reason you got there was because you've been working with builders for so long and also because you were on this planning committee for the city. Which is where they got their first big project. And because I had been involved with that particular project, there was a previous builder that was planning to build. They defaulted. And when Nexus came in, this is their first big project, which I had been very involved with that for for years before they came into the picture and brought them knowledge they didn't have. You brought your knowledge base. Mm -hmm. How did you become part of the planning committee? Well, that's another good question. Um, A lot of my resales, a lot of my market share is in uh, downtown Frederick, which, you know, Frederick's a county of about 260,000 people. There are about 90,000 people with Frederick address. So it's, it's not a huge city. It's small enough that you can get involved, but big enough that there's stuff happening. And um, I guess with a lot of my general sales and interest and, you know, social connections being in that area, uh, it's something I had expressed an interest in. And 
you know, had started going to conferences and seminars and educating myself on sustainable growth. And I submitted an application to volunteer on the committee, and it was accepted. So, you know, after having spent a few years in that, you know, it gave me a real good base of knowledge that when you combine that with the experience that I had had in new home sales with resales, it became valuable to this particular home builder. Now, you generate your general brokerage business quite a few different ways. You you have been working with the builders, but you also are selling resale homes. Is that correct? Yeah, we, you know, I'd say at this point, really, the majority of our business is resale. New homes are the growth area for us. Now that the market's picking back up again, you know, that is going to be a huge growth area. But new homes for the past four years have been a, a relatively small percentage of our of our sales. Uh, prior to that, we had a lot more, but the past four years have been very slow for new homes. How are you generating your, your current resale business? A lot from past clients and referrals. And then another, I'd say, outside of new homes, maybe a third from referrals, a third from past clients, and a third from, from, from the web. How do you stimulate referrals and business from your past clients? Well, I send out direct mail and automated email campaigns from my website that just remind people that we're here, that we're in business, that we are, um, that we're doing well and um, happy to help them or any friends, family, or coworkers that they may have. For the purchasers that we had built, you know, more than just a working relationship, we may have built a little bit of a friendship. You know, I like to, I like to make personal contact with those people as much as possible. You know, catch up for lunch every now and then. Some I have become personal friends with, um, you know, maybe even a happy hour or coffee or something along those lines. However it is that, that, that I think would be best to catch up with them in person. Do you ask specifically and directly for referrals? Not usually, no. I put it at the, you know, the bottom of an email signature. We put it on the website, things like that. But I don't, I don't like taking someone out for a drink and then say, remember, I'm looking for your referrals. I feel that it, it cheapens the personal relationship you invited them there to create. So it's just a byproduct of the relationship. Yeah, I've, I've always been a, a pretty soft sell kind of person. They know who I am. They know who, what I do, and they know why you know, I'm involved in, in, in business. And you know, when they're ready and comfortable to send referrals, I'll, I'll hope that they send them to me. You mentioned you're also generating business on the web. What are you doing there? Well, I have um, a network of, of websites, actually. You know, I've just had two more agents come on with me. So, you know, really I've got three as a, three that have – I've got one agent that's been with me for about seven years, one that's been with me for about six months, and two that came on about a week ago. So we're handling all this new business. We're growing, and my, my web presence is growing as well. Uh, I provide every one of the agents on my team with a full – service website as well as Nexus Energy Homes with a full service website for each one of their communities uh, as well as their custom homes division and their main website. All of these sites being interconnected with each other, being interconnected with blogs, being interconnected with YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, all these different things um, are, are getting as very good placement on search engines. I also make sure that the content is is unique, that the content is valuable to readers and easy to navigate. And for our local market in Frederick, Maryland, if you type in anything to do with 
real estate in Frederick, chances are we're on the first or second page of Google and Yahoo and whatnot. And so usually about once a week at this point, I have somebody that emails and says, I'm thinking about selling and found you online, just wanted to decide where to go from here. Um, and so, you know, spend the time, do it once, and it pays you back forever. Currently, it's generating about one listing a week? One listing prospect per week. A lot of people locally are in a position where they just can't sell. So, you know, this year, with these new websites coming online and, and the web growing, our, our web of websites growing, we're getting about one lead a week. That's, you know, our conversion ratio is, well, I don't know, maybe on average about seems to be averaging out to about 20 a year, and that's about double what we had last year. Who designed the websites and who maintains them? I have a, a company that I use for all of these, which we have about, I think, let me, let me count, five, six, seven, eight. We have nine websites now between the agents on my team, myself, and the builder that I provide, and I buy those through a company called Property Minder. They're actually out of California, and I found them through another agent and they offer templates, in my opinion, very good templates and even semi-custom websites, and then you can provide additional content and edit them yourself. I spent a great deal of time learning and educating myself on the process of, of the web, what makes search engines find you over someone else, and writing custom content. Property Minder is the template. So I think it's also valuable if an agent doesn't have a lot of new construction or they want to go some other avenue. Get to know the web. Buy a, a template from somebody like Property Minder or Z57 is another website company that 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 offers good templates. Spend the time, customize it yourself. It took me three years to get to the point where I am with the website today, but it's it's starting to pay off because I've spent very little money. I asked a designer to look at my site and tell them what they thought it would cost if I were to pay somebody to do it custom, and they said about sixty to seventy thousand dollars, and I spent about a thousand and a little bit of time. And a lot of time, but it was valuable knowledge. It was a, it was a lesson learned too. You said you have now figured out how to get the search engines to find you. Uh, how are you doing that? Well, a couple different ways: unique content coupled with appropriate meta tags, inbound links, appropriately titled inbound links from other sites, from your Facebook, you know, from blogs, um, from other websites. You know, if you've got a, a blog about real estate that, that is talking about homes for sale in a particular neighborhood and it has search homes for sale in green acres and I'm just making something up and that's a link to a page on your website that is talking about homes in that community, that is a very valuable link and that's going to index at some point in time on Google. So when somebody types in house values in green acres, you're more likely to be found. You need to sort of do that times, you know, 500, 1,000, and all of a sudden you start to index very well. One of the other things I've done is I, through Property Minder, purchased a MLS navigation tool where every single property that is in my local MLS is indexed on my sitemap. So if somebody Googles 123 Main Street, New Market, Maryland, or Frederick, Maryland, or something like that, I have individual page content for every single listing in the entire MLS on my site. If they Google the MLS number, it comes up. If they Google text that's in the remarks, it comes up. So when people are out driving around looking at homes and they see one, they take down the address and go online, they find me, not the listing agent. And then what happens? They, they go to your site, they see the property. How do you get them to contact you? 
Well, the site is full of call to actions. You can provide people with tons of information, but unless you have a call to action, they're not likely to follow up on it. So that particular page pulls up when they Google the address. It's pictures of that home. So you give them the information they want. They have the price. They have the lot size. They have multiple photos. And then there's options for mortgage calculator, schedule a showing, learn more about this home, contact a realtor, uh, or uh, search more homes for sale. So, you know, depending on what that buyer is doing and where they are in the process, you know, they're going to take one of those links and all of those lead to, you know, my group where one of us responds right away with an email and, and it also automatically inputs their information into my uh, database, which is, you know, web-based on the back end of the site. So if I'm in one place and, you know, all the other four agents that are in my group are somewhere else, whoever's by a computer, everybody gets a notification and, you know, they get followed up with right away. You've mentioned that you're generating one seller, one solid seller lead a week from this effort. Uh, how about on the buyer side? How many buyer leads do you believe are coming in? You know, a little bit less than that, to be honest with you. We have a lot of buyer leads coming in, but what I'm noticing is that a lot of people, a lot of buyers, sometimes even with agents, are going to our website and, um, and setting up home searches. They can set up automated home searches and it emails them every day, what's new on the market or price changes and things like that. And it certainly doesn't bother me. They're welcome to use it as much as they want, but I think they're finding it easier to use than other brokers' websites and things along those lines. So realistically, you know, maybe the website is generating one buyer lead per month that, that closes. But the traffic is, I mean, there's probably 20 active buyers using it at any given time. Maybe only four or five of those are ours at any given time. I read somewhere that you're using strategic community services to generate business. What, what does that mean? Uh, a lot of the volunteer organizations I told you about, planning committees and things along those lines. I also read you put together options to purchase real estate for buyers and sellers. What is that all about? I still think it's going to be useful. I maintain that around the office. Uh, if you're if you're buying or selling stock, you can purchase options or calls, puts, whatever whatever you want to do. Right now, we're towards the bottom of a market where this might start being viable. It took about three years longer to get here than I was hoping or what than I thought. But let's say you're a homeowner and you're thinking, you know, I'd like to sell this place in the next five years. I really wish I had a couple more bucks coming in every month now. As a home buyer, a potential home buyer and or an investor for the future may come in and pay you $200 a month every month until they decide to buy your house. And when they buy it, they're locking in a price pre-negotiated. So it's sort of a lease option, but without the tenant paying the rent. And the idea is is that the future va- that the value of the home will appreciate more than what that prospective purchaser is paying in a lease option. If the value is going up five percent a year, and you're paying two and a half percent a year in an option payment, um, the theory would be after five years, you have a net gain of say twelve and a half percent. And then you buy the home and you've bought it below market. Maybe you move in it, maybe you rent it out, or maybe you just turn around and sell it and capitalize off the money you've made. The safe part of it for that prospective investor is that if the values don't go up, all they've lost is a little bit of money every month. It's not tremendous. They can stop paying at any time. And when they do, they forfeit their right to buy the home at any point in time in the future. So for investment properties and things of those lines, it could be a new method of, uh, of investing in, in, in real estate. And the advantage to the seller? 
the advantage to the seller, they get a check every month. If they're happy with the price of their home or are betting that the value is not going to go up a tremendous amount in the next couple years, well, maybe they're getting, you know, a couple thousand dollars a year for the next couple years. Have you put this together just conceptually or are you actually taking action within the market? Our market has still been downward um, in terms of price. So I haven't had any real opportunity to use it yet. It is an interesting theory that has gone completely unused for the past three years when we put it all together. We're getting to the point now where the market seems to have stopped declining. And I think that once it gets any hint of appreciation, that this might be a viable option. So it's creating a speculative market where speculators can come in and try to guess whether the market is going to go up or how fast it will or will not go up. And you have two players on either side. How are you going to capitalize on this? How do you get compensated for putting this idea out there? Well, a certain percentage of the um, payments to the property owner would be due as a commission. You know, when the property owner hires you to find a option buyer, they're agreeing to pay you um, a set commission. I've really taken some notes on what would be appropriate, and I can't remember what they are off the top of my head. Um, and then, of course, there is a transfer of the property in most cases at some point in time, too. So what an appropriate commission amount would be, I, I don't know, but, but you'd have the installment payments and could get paid almost like a commercial lease, you know, or you could you could be compensated at the end when and if the home does transfer. So a commission as it moves along and a possibly a commission at the end, just like a, a lease option, a lease getting paid on a lease for managing it and getting paid on a sale when it occurs. Right. Potentially you'd be creating an income stream as well as a final payoff. Yeah, which is great because um, a lot of realtors, you know, they get a big check and then they don't make anything for a while. So I think a, a long-term residual income stream could be nice in this industry. Let's talk about your team for a minute. You said you have four people that you have, one that's been with you for quite a while, seven years, one that's been with you just a relative short amount of time, six months, I think, and a couple brand new folks. What are all these people doing? Well, now that we uh, we are up and running with um, this first community of any size, we've got a model home and it needs to be manned five days a week. So we're busy. Allie is the person who's been with me for seven years, and we've been keeping very busy with resale business. I'm busier with Nexus now. Um, so uh, we had another agent come on with us about six months ago when I started getting very backed up with everything I was doing with Nexus Energy Homes to help with uh, resale business. Now that the model's open, there are a tremendous amount of people coming through there on a daily basis, so they're able to get new home sales out of that office, and they're able to get residual uh, resale business from, from me, from the web, uh, and from that new home sales base as well. The agent you brought on six months ago, was that person brought on to step into your shoes for the resale market? She was brought on to step into the resale market, not necessarily my place, but um, just in, in general. You know, it's not like she only does resale and then other people do new homes. Everybody's helping out at the model and putting in a, you know, a, you know, a day here or a day there. And, and everybody's doing resale. Um, you know, just they pick up a client and they work with them. How are you compensating these people? For the new home, certainly, if a buyer walks in, Without an agent, that's their buyer, so they get the commission on the buyer end. 
if a buyer walks into that new home with an agent, they get a $1,000 fee for just, they won't have to do any work. I do all the work on the listing end, but they get a $1,000 fee just for sitting there when that person happened to come in with an agent. Um, any time that uh, they do any resale business, we have a, a negotiated split you know, where they get the majority of the commission, and I, I take a margin on it. When these agents are sitting on your new homes and a buyer comes in without an agent, does your on-site agent receive the entire commission, or do you split that as well? The entire buyer's agent commission, less $500, I get the listing half. Sure, and then I assume there's some type of split with your brokerage house. Yes. Do you prefer to hire experienced or inexperienced agents? Oh, definitely. The more experienced, the better. I have had um, relationships I've tried to work on with, with newer agents, and um, you know I, I, I'm bringing on people who know what they're doing from now on. I don't want to go through the process of having to try and cha- train them, and that's one of the good things about working with out-of-area agents for Nexus. Um, I find the best of the best in that market and you know, work with them to move our product there. Um, and, and a good agent is, is, is worth every bit of money you'll ever pay him. What's Allie's title? Everybody's realtor. Everyone's realtor? Everyone's realtor. We don't, you know, a lot of teams, they, they compartmentalize and they, they, this person's a buyer specialist, this person's a listing specialist. And, you know, just we prefer to compartmentalize based on who fits well with other people. You know, Allie doesn't like to do a lot of listings. She likes to do a lot of buyers. But, you know, I think if you make it too rigid, it, you run into unneeded complications. This is a very organic business, and you have to sort of function organically, you know, to meet the needs. I am looking for a full-time administration person right now, and I think that's the only person we'd give a title to as not being a realtor. They're just full-time admin. But, uh, you know, yeah, we don't, we, don't, we don't have other names for everybody, titles. Everyone is licensed then. Everyone is licensed. So it's kind of like a joint venture. You've taken these people in and, and you split up business based on production. Yeah. They give me a cut of whatever it is they sell. I produce tools that produce business or produce business that, that they get. You know, whether it be the model home that is in a community where they're all my listings and I have the relationships with the builder, whether it be the my website or the websites that I produce for them. I mean, their websites are all fully custom. You know, they are um, very attractive. They have tons of content. They uh, have their own back-end database management software with automated email campaigns. So, you know, I like to give them the tools that they can produce as much as possible and make them as efficient as possible. I think that there's economy of scale. Just about every other business works like an assembly line. If you're building a car, every person, one, one person doesn't build the whole car. You know, the assembly line is there for a reason. And when it comes to real estate, shared services, okay, I have a website template. I can reproduce that for somebody in a matter of hours rather than them trying to recreate it themselves from scratch. It's infinitely more effective and infinitely more efficient. And as we grow, I'd like to, you know, further that and continue to, to become more efficient and more effective. Mike, you have a lot of, of balls in the area doing a lot of things. How do you manage your time? As best as I can right now, priority-wise, I, I take care of what needs to be taken care of first and, and then get you know down the list from there. Unfortunately, I am overloaded at the moment. I do need help. I am looking for a full-time admin. 
How many hours do you think you're working in a typical week? Maybe 55, 60 at the moment. And, and that's up far beyond what it has been in recent years. And it won't be like that forever. But when you're a small business, you have to make it work until you can bring on people that help you. And we're bringing on people, but, you know, not, not quite fast enough, apparently. Do you have a business plan? Yes. How often do you look at that business plan? Well, I've got a couple couple daily action items that, that, that are part of that, or we, rather weekly action items that, you know, this is done on Mondays, this is done on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, in addition to just going in and taking care of what's in my email. But I, I tend to revise that every two or three years based on what's going on. You must track certain numbers to make sure that you're on pace to achieve your goals. What numbers are important to you? We have an average of about a settlement every week for the past six years. The past two years, we're down over that. This year, it looks like we're going to exceed that. And, and now that we're bringing more people on, I would expect next year should be in, in, you know, very greatly in excess of that, especially with the additional new homes business that we're getting. So, you know, I'd, I'd like to try and grow by about 25, just about six months ago, revised our business plan realized we needed new help, we needed new people, we needed to fit an admin position in somewhere. Um, so, you know, we're going to shoot for about 55 settlements this year, and I'd like to grow by 25% per year for the next couple of years. And that's not out of the realm of possibility. If I recall, a few years back, you closed 74 units in a year? That's correct. And that was with a new homes relationship that does not have nearly the potential that this one does. I mean, we could we've had meetings with land developers for other projects that are you know anywhere between 2 and 400 units per site and and communities of that size can pace out at you know 5 6 7 homes a month just for each community so if we've got two or three of those going plus resale business um you know we could very easily be looking at 150 transactions a year you know with with good sale healthy sales prices and full commissions on all of them and a lot of those might be two sided what drives you? Well, I, honestly, it, it helps that what I'm working on with this home builder is, is something that I, I actually believe in, you know, sustainable uh, development, you know, green housing, uh, economic development, all those are things that, that are personally important to me. I like to, I, I, would, I would do it even if I wasn't getting paid, um, work for those things. So it feels good that my career and my um, ideals line up. Um, what else drives me is on the business development end. I like planning much more than I, I, I like implementation. So I like to go out and stir things up and, and have people around that help me finish them off. And I think that's why, you know, working with a group where I can run around and stir up business and then they walk the individual buyers and sellers through the transaction is a good fit. We were growing at a very, very rapid pace and then the economy tanked. And so the last four years have sort of been, four to five years have sort of been pick up the pieces, restructure, plan, and wait for the right time. And um, that that's something I enjoy doing, and I'm just finally happy that that time seems to be here. Why do you think you've been successful? Well, I like to plan and look at the big picture, and I think a lot of people chase short-term goals, and I'm maybe have a problem and chase too long of a term goal. But, you know, you wait long enough and that's going to end up working out. Um, I think that a lot of people also like to be 
the one in charge and and I like to surround my pe- myself with with people that are that are as good or better than me um you know if I can get somebody to work with me that 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 has superior knowledge to me and you know maybe more experience or more knowledge or connections I that that would be great I I don't think that a top-down approach is the way to build an effective large organization I think that mutually beneficial relationships are the way to build a large organization and a successful one and and so that's what I'm working towards if you were to advise a brand new agent just getting into the business what would you tell them to do first definitely write a business plan with ambitious but achievable goals and um you know, look at every day the ABC of how to meet those goals. So many people, so many new agents, especially, I see them come in and they they get discouraged and and give up when they don't have any sales after three months. And well, that's just the way this business goes. You're starting your own business, becoming a new realtor. And you know, a lot of people just expect to go in and sit at the office, and the calls are going to come in. And you know, there's a lot of great great freedoms that come with this career and great opportunities that come with this career, but you have to earn every bit of them. Go out there, market yourself, and you can't give up. It may not happen for a year, but when it does, it won't stop. Well, Mike, you're on your way. You've been retooling and ramping up. Now the business is flowing your way again. You've doubled your staff in the last six months and still looking for help. You know how to shake things up and make the rain. Your persistence, determination, and drive have pulled you through the tough times and are pushing you into the good. I can't wait to hear what happens next. Thank you again for being our Rising Agent of the Month. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to the Mastermind Agent Interview of the Month Club, where top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com.